Pothole Joe. Pothole Joe, sung by Joe and the Holes. Um, Chuck I and the Holes. Chuck and the Holes. Chuck and the Holes. I thought it was Joe. Yes. I, I thought it was cute. I, I like it when people use hum humor in politics. I think it's more memorable and it doesn't take on this nasty personal angle. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. This weekend, Governor Eric Holcomb is in Europe working to recruit global business to the Hoosier State. This is a group of tech companies here in Indiana comes to the State House to push for a comprehensive hate crimes bill. The same week that 30 national civil rights organizations make it clear, writing a letter to lawmakers to say that kind of comprehensive bill is the only way Indiana gets off the list of states without a hate crime law. Our Zach Myers has the latest from the State House. Zach? And this could be a sign of what's to come for the rest of this session. This coalition of technology companies drawing a parallel between a hate crimes bill and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act debate of 2015. As Indiana's General Assembly enters the second half of the legislative session, members of the Indiana Technology and Innovation Association are calling on lawmakers to pass a biased crimes bill that specifically lists protected groups. Passing a watered-down, unenforceable biased crimes law just simply reaffirms the uh, reputation of Indiana as being socially regressive um, and essentially not inclusive. Coalition members say not having a specific hate crime law is hurting their ability to recruit out of state. One CEO said Indiana companies are in a death match for talent in other states. There are not enough skilled workers to fill the jobs that we're creating every day. And so we can't afford to have anything be a barrier to that talent and recruitment. I'm worried that if we don't do this, we will have another RIFRA on our hands. But this time it could be worse because it'll be a second black eye on the state. Representative Greg Stewarwald authored the House version of the Bias Crimes Bill and is House co-sponsor of the Senate version. He says more general language without a list allows a judge to consider all forms of bias and he says parallels to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act debate are off base. No that's not a fair comparison at all. What we're trying to deal with here is making sure that every form of hate is covered and that's exactly what we intend to do. The comments come as Governor Eric Holcomb travels to Europe on a mission to bring business back to Indiana. He wants an Indiana hate crime law that includes a specific list of protected groups. I say that coming from A, it's the right thing to do, and B, it does in terms of our business community matter. There's pretty strong opposition to it at this point. I don't know where we're going to end up, but I do believe that the common goal for everybody is that there's no form of hate excluded. Reporting for In Focus, I'm Zach Myers. All right, Zach, thanks. This week we also spoke with legislative leaders on both sides of the aisle, including House Speaker Brian Bosma. It's not going to be a RIFRA uh, situation. We're going to find a solution, I hope. Uh, it's, it's, it's just entirely different. I was in the eye of that storm, and it's an entirely different uh, feel from that. But we are working toward a solution. When they're out recruiting for talent, uh, when the state's out recruiting for new businesses, it's our reputation versus other states' reputation. And so that's what's so important about this bill is what it says about the state of Indiana. As I've stated before, this is about how people feel about the state of Indiana when it comes to issues that we all know we have in this state. 
So again, the governor in Europe, but before he left for Europe, Governor Holcomb stopped in Washington for a meeting with President Trump and the American Workforce Policy Advisory Board. The inaugural meeting featured the CEO of Apple and was also chaired by Ivanka Trump, who of course has been in the news a lot this week as well. Meantime, many of the headlines in D.C. are still centered on Michael Cohen, Paul Manafort's sentence, and a deepening divide in both parties over some pretty heated issues in the news. As controversies encircle the White House, both major parties find themselves divided over some fundamental questions. For Republicans, how to handle the president's declaration of a national emergency. A number of lawmakers say it's unconstitutional and nothing more than an attempt to bypass Congress to get more funding for the border wall. Next week, the Senate's set to vote on a bill passed by the House that would block the emergency declaration. Uh, it is a crisis. Uh, crisis, an emergency, it needs to be fixed. Indiana Senator Mike Braun has already come out in support of the president's national emergency, but other Republicans aren't so sure. This past week, Mitch McConnell acknowledged the bill blocking the declaration should have enough support from Republicans to pass. The question here in Indiana, whether Senator Todd Young will vote for the bill, here's what he told us last month about the possibility of a national emergency. Any funding legislation, of course, has to be consistent with the Constitution. That's always been my threshold. That will continue to be my threshold. I haven't made up my mind with respect to uh, the emergency declaration. I, of course, want to make sure that whatever I do is consistent with the law and Constitution. Meantime, Democrats are also divided over whether it's still too soon to pursue impeachment. This past week, a freshman lawmaker said it's time. To start the impeachment proceedings, it's so critically important. But other leading Democrats are urging caution. Uh, impeachment is premature at this moment. This as House lawmakers seek documents from more than 80 Trump associates and government agencies. And as the president's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, went back to the House Intelligence Committee for another closed-door session. I believe that all of the members were satisfied with the statements and the um, responses that I gave to them. This as Democrats also debate the Green New Deal, the overall direction of the party ahead of 2020, and the best way to deal with controversial comments from another freshman lawmaker, setting off a contentious debate on Capitol Hill. That we do not want accept that language, believe in that type of language. Congressman Andre Carson tweeting, religious intolerance against all faiths must be condemned. I spoke with the congressman on a range of topics on Friday. For Democrats this week, a lot of questions centered around the direction of the party, how to handle some of these controversies that come up and how aggressively to investigate the president and his inner circle. I'll start there. You were in the Intel committee hearings. Are these topics being pursued too aggressively or does the information you've been getting from Michael Cohen warrant further scrutiny? Well, I think that uh, Michael Cohen um, has been very cooperative with the committee, which we appreciate before he serves his um, sentence. I think what we're seeing is we're seeing the spirit of what the founding fathers had in mind, and that is to have a separate but equal branches of government, co-equal branches of government, acting as checks and balances against the other. Uh, so in a very real sense, I think that we're seeing legislators act very effectively, assertively, and dare I say aggressively in making sure that anything that hasn't been uncovered gets uncovered 
uh, through the subpoena process and the hearing process. Do you find him to be credible? Obviously, some questions now about whether he did seek a pardon or not. He said he did not in his open hearing last well, week. Well, Dan, contrary. he's cooperative. I didn't say credible, but he has been cooperative, sir. Do you think he's being truthful now? Well, I think that, um, you know, he's he's he has been cooperative to the degree that uh, the the various committees uh, have been able to issue uh, subpoenas uh, to bring other witnesses in. Of course, we're going to call witnesses in ourselves as an intel committee um, to really get to the bottom of this and cooperate stories. And that's what this investigation uh, is all about. Were you surprised Paul Manafort was sentenced to just under four years after potentially facing more than 20 years in prison? Yeah, there, 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 there seems to be inequity at play, but also... Um, you know, a lot of people are saying this is just a slap on the wrist, and it's unfortunate. It's clear that Manafort's team is, in a, in a sense, dog-whistling to uh, the Trump administration and President Trump himself uh, to get a pardon, a presidential pardon. And, you know, the Trump organization um, has, has operated almost like uh, a, a, a mafia of sorts, and kind of this mob mentality... It's something that the American people don't want. They don't have a stomach for. They want leadership that is firm, that is dedicated to their concerns, and willing to work across the aisle without stirring the pots of uh, confusion and, and, and discontent. You've said before your quote on the doorstep of impeachment, but a lot of party leaders are shying away from statements like that. Where, where is all of this headed? Well, that, that, that remains to be seen. Uh, we, we've, we've yet to see Director Mueller's report, um, the Intel Committee. We're still doing our due diligence in bringing in the appropriate witnesses to interview them, to look and see the influence that Russia had in the Trump campaign, in the Trump apparatus, and even the Trump administration. Um, and the other committees are doing a similar job. And so we have a very multi-pronged approach in terms of unearthing and getting to the root of all that went wrong, criminal, unethical, or otherwise, with the Trump um, team. How about the discussions in your party over how to handle controversies like the comments from Representative Omar? The resolution eventually included a broader list of concerns, and you issued a joint statement about that and, and tweeted about it as well Thursday, saying we sent a clear message that House Democrats are united in our shared opposition to hatred and, and bigotry, but we can't stop here. Are you frustrated at all over the way this whole thing played out? Well, I think it presented a great opportunity for uh, members of Congress to get a better understanding of one another. This, this produced a series of dinners and, and dialogues between uh, Muslim, Jewish, Christian members of Congress. Uh, there were some uh, Native American members some members of the LGBTQ caucus who were there, of which I'm a co-founding member, uh, and others uh, from across the religious and ideological spectrum and secularists um, who were there to talk about our own personal journey. And when you, when you get a deeper understanding of a person's personal history, regardless of their race, religion, or philosophical views, We'll see that we, we, we kind of see that we, we're not that dissimilar. All right, more of that interview on our website coming up next this Sunday in Focus. We're talking about Mayor Pete Buttigieg running for president in the spotlight tonight. And also ahead, 
We're looking at the Curtis Hill controversy and a new initiative to identify sexual abuse next. Time to bring in our panel right now, UND Professor Dr. Laura Wilson, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, former Communications Director for the Indiana Democrats Jennifer Wagner, and Adam Wren, Contributing Editor for Politico and Indianapolis Monthly and author of the Importantville Newsletter on Indiana Politics. As we mentioned in our first segment, both parties really grappling with some pretty fundamental questions of who they want to be moving forward. Yeah, you've seen a lot of movement this past week on the issue of our alliance with Israel. Um, it's really, I think, just the beginning of a debate uh, that will take us into, I think, new ground as a, as a foreign policy power. It seems to be a number of issues that sort of dividing Democrats on how they want to define themselves ahead of 2020, right? It's probably bound to happen. You yeah. know, why would we want to all, you know, congeal around, I don't know, Donald Trump being president? We can fight each other. It seems like such a no-brainer, but you know what? I guess this is part of the natural progression. We have so many people running for president already. And I think this is part of the process that has to happen within my party, is that we have to kind of have this bloodletting, this moment of you know talking about what we actually stand for, where we want to be moving forward before we can actually get to 2020. Republicans, uh, where, where do they stand here? Looking at the national emergency declaration, the controversies in the White House. I know many of them want to look at the division within the sure. Democratic Party well, this first week, of all, for sure. You know, as it relates to, uh, to a lot of the controversy last, last week, I'll say that both parties have their races. We have King, they have Omar, okay? But broader speaking, the, the Democratic Party is clearly moving toward a socialist bent. There's no doubt about that. And the recent national polls show that 56% of all uh, American adults between the age of 18 and 34 believe a socialist form of government is better. They just, they just don't, quite frankly, understand history. I believe, uh, I rarely agree with Trump, and you know that. But when he spoke to CPAC last week, he was talking about the New Green Deal. He said, please, to the Democrats, keep pushing it, keep pushing it. Because that kind of policy will assure his re-election. These are pretty sensitive topics, obviously, when you're talking about identity politics. They are. There's a lot of stuff that's dividing both parties. And I think that's the, the challenge of having a two-party system when the fact is we're not a two-party country. There's a lot of differences within the Democrats that we've seen and the same thing with the Republicans. And it's which party can come together and, and kind of coalesce of those, which will be most successful in the end. Paul Manafort's sentence, uh, a little lighter than people expected. That's surprising to you guys? I mean, should a guy go to prison, you know, for a nonviolent crime? We seem to be moving away from that in America. Should he have all his assets taken away? Should he be, you know, not allowed to write a book and profit off it? All those kinds of things. Absolutely. He should get every, every financial penalty he can actually get. But I don't see any profit in having him sitting behind bars. I mean, where was that sort of thinking uh, when it comes to mandatory minimums for African Americans who sold marijuana? I mean, it's, it, 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 you would be worse off uh, working on behalf of an oligarchical country um, and oligarchs doing, you know, terrible crimes than you know doing a low-level drug deal. I think, given this this sentence. I absolutely agree with you, but but you know, my mom taught me two wrongs don't make a right. Right, so I agree with you, and I also agree with myself. <laughs> a lot of debate here, no doubt, about uh, the former campaign chair and the sentence he received. Meantime, tomorrow, as Indiana Republicans gather for their spring dinner, they'll hear from some other big names in Indiana, in national politics, I should say, including another former Trump campaign chair, Corey Lewandowski, with a lot of talk already about the 2020 campaign. Speaking of 2020, tonight, 
a moment in the spotlight for South Bend Mayor and presidential hopeful Pete Buttigieg. He finally gets his CNN town hall tonight at 9 o'clock, appearing after a couple other candidates. But what is the future of the party? Can they win here in the Midwest? This week we actually heard from a, a couple of South Bend Democrats, Buttigieg and former Indiana Senator Joe Donnelly. Fundamentally, uh, this election can't be simply about him. If the message is all about him, I can tell you that once again, a lot of people, especially in the industrial regions where I live, uh, will say that nobody's talking about me. When the Democratic Party focuses on really divisive social issues, we lose. When we focus on jobs and making families' lives better, we win. We have to talk about lived everyday experience of people in their lives across America and how our values and uh, the policies that flow from those values uh, will make everyday life better. There's so many people, um, you know, who might fill that role. Um, he certainly has done a good job as mayor of South Bend, and, and he's a friend of mine, um, and I've supported him in his efforts. Interestingly, Donnelly did not go as far to endorse Mayor Buttigieg in that interview with our South Bend affiliate. Uh, what do you make of that, and what kind of voice will someone like Donnelly have in 2020? Well, first I want to say I agree with them both. Um, I do agree with Pete. I don't think we're going to get there as a party um, defeating Donald Trump if we make the election all about Donald Trump. And I think Joe raises some really good points. We've got to get back to grassroots values and talk about the issues that get talked about around the kitchen table. Do I think that it's going to make a huge difference if Joe Donnelly does or does not endorse Pete Buttigieg? I think it would if he were still a current U.S. senator. Um, I think he's always been pragmatic. He's waiting his, his time out to see what happens in the race. Town Hall tonight, what will you be watching for? And could we be close to an official announcement, perhaps, from Mayor Buttigieg? You know, Buttigieg has been on a lot of the sort of coastal uh, television shows. He's sort of become a darling of columnists on the East Coast um, and on the West Coast. But tonight will be his really first chance to, to connect with primetime voters. Um, and so I think people, a lot of people will be surprised to hear his articulate approach and thoughtful approach to policy issues. So speaking of town halls and debates and this notion of Democrats speaking to the Midwest speaking to different audiences. We, we also learned this week of the decision not to hold any debates with Fox News Channel. Uh, a mistake, do you think, for Democrats? Not really, because they, they're not likely getting votes off of Fox News uh, viewers. viewers anyhow. I mean, it's just, it's just not going to happen. You kind of disagree, it looks like. I Jennifer. do disagree yeah. with you. Why? I mean, you got to govern all people, which you got to talk to all people. And by the way, Fox News has a heck of a lot of reach. Well, I know I they mean, do. They're number you know, one. So if you can't go into the belly of the beast, so to speak, and you can't debate on that channel, then you know well, I don't understand what are we what are we afraid of? Well, Laura, your thoughts question. on this, real quick. Well, I, I think it was a strategic mm -hmm. decision. The question is, was it a good strategy? Right. And and of course, you don't want to isolate people that you might be reaching out to. But at the same time, if you're only reaching out to your opposition, is that going to be effective? I think that was the challenge there. All right. Meantime, as we said, Governor Holcomb in Europe this weekend on a trade mission, trying to recruit business to Indiana. At the same time, business leaders in the Hoosier State were at the State House this week making the case for a comprehensive hate crimes bill. Still a possibility the governor himself will testify on this bill when he returns. Well, I think there's still plenty of time to get something done. I don't think anybody who thinks that we're reaching some kind of crisis in this session doesn't understand the Indiana legislature. We're really one third of the way through. We have the first half, then the second half, the what I call the third half, yeah, which is right. the conference committees. We'll see what happens next. Uh, the governor, though, seems to be still wanting to push for that specific list. I think that he is timing this 
very well. I think he is letting the um, momentum build for this bill. Uh, obviously, there was some disappointment before the turn of the session, the halfway point, letting those corporate leaders come and be that voice at the State House. And I think he'll come in at just the right time. And I am very optimistic that we'll get something done. All right. Also, Attorney General Curtis Hill making some news this week, launching uh, a new initiative to make it easier to report sexual abuse in the church. No doubt uh, a very important topic, but also because of recent headlines. Uh, it, it does raise some eyebrows in political circles with uh, Hill recently facing allegations of groping. Yeah, it's really, I think, a, a, an example of tone deafness. I mean, why not um, start with the legislature first, where he's been accused of doing the same sort of behavior, uh, although, uh, you know, a question about whether or not it's a serious um, in, in the legislature. Uh, he's starting with the church, which, to me, it just seems like an easy political victory for him. What would you guys make of this? You know, I'm a big Alanis Morissette fan. I grew up in the 90s and the music of the 90s, and I couldn't help but think, isn't it ironic? Come oh, on, oh, man, this oh. is the wrong messenger for this. Is it a really important issue that's still resonating around our state? Yes. Is he the right guy to be talking about it? Heck no. Mike. The guy is absolutely clueless. He's the same guy who tried to have a meeting with the uh, interns from the Black Caucus a couple weeks ago, and it wasn't canceled until the news media found out. I mean, the guy is absolutely clueless. If I were him and I wanted to get reelected, I'd play really low key for the next year. Great topic, wrong person. I think that's the challenge. All right, we're going to leave it there. We'll talk more on our podcast. Up next, we're hearing from the woman in charge of the Department of Child Services as they go to state lawmakers to ask for more funding. Stick around, we'll be right back. The director of DCS went in front of state lawmakers this week to talk about the state budget, and we spoke with her one-on-one. -on -one. We will continue providing services uh, for families. We will continue taking care of our workforce to make sure that they're compensated appropriately. We'll continue making sure that our providers are compensated appropriately. DCS asking for an additional $300 million. Last fiscal year, the department spent more than what the state originally gave them. The new director stepped in since then. She hopes this request will bring their budget in line with actual spending. And we'll be back with this week's Winners and Losers right after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Laura, you're up first. So my winner and loser is daylight savings time. It's a winner because we'll have more light in the evening. Loser, we're taking away that hour. We're sleepy. Mike. Winner has to be Governor Holcomb. He got some radiant sunshine at the White House this week on uh, workforce development. And the loser has to be President Trump. He allows himself to have his picture taken with the alleged uh, Jupiter, Florida madam. From Robert Kraft's case. Yeah. yeah, Jennifer. Probably not the worst thing ever to happen to Donald Trump. My loser is actually just niche issue politics and the divisive nature. Um, the Democratic Party fell into that this week, and I hope we can get back out. Adam? Uh, two winners, Pete Buttigieg, who gets his first primetime audience tonight, and Senator Mike Brown, who's really hit the ground running in D.C., taking on issues like prescription drug, drug costs. All right. Thank you all for being here. Much more on our podcast, and thank you for watching. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, uh, talking on the podcast, we didn't get a chance to talk about the, the race for mayor. Uh, of course, State Senator Jim Merritt, uh, challenging among uh, other Republicans who might still take him on in the primary here, uh, hoping to take on Mayor Joe Hogsett this fall. Potholes have been a big issue, and the Marion County Republicans, Mike, have put out a sort of a catchy little jingle music video this week calling the mayor Pothole Joe. Pothole Joe, sung by Joe and the Holes. Um, Chuck and the Holes. Chuck and the Holes. Chuck and the Holes. I thought it was Joe yes. Um, I, I thought it was cute. I, I like it when people use hum humor in politics. I think it's more memorable and it doesn't take on this nasty personal angle. Um, the one mistake as far as accuracy goes is the only road they mentioned 
in this song is 465, which of course is maintained by the state, by not by Joe Hogsett. And isn't terrible, actually. 465 has been much, much better much than our better. local roads. In yeah. part because there's nothing underneath 465. It's just a highway. It doesn't have a whole bunch of crumbling bricks or yeah. steam pipes or anything else under it. But How much is this issue going to define the mayor? I mean, when I saw this video um, this past week, my first thought was only if only Jim Merritt had been in some position of power where he could have affected the funding structure of how Marion County receives infrastructure funds over the last three decades. But I, I, I wonder whether this is still going to be a relevant issue come November when people um, are going to the polls to vote. Um, if the election were this week, I think it would probably be pretty significant. But um, I think people forget easily um, over a period of time. It's one of those very personal issues, I guess, that affects everybody, right? Everybody drives through Yeah, and I I go to Adam's point, you know, will they remember? I I personally think they will because potholes have been so bad this year, granted the winter. And last year really even worse. Yeah, and so it doesn't feel like anything has changed. I think that's Merritt's strongest argument is like, has your life improved in the last four years? If it hasn't, you should be voting for me. Um, The thing I like about an ad like this is that it is, it's catchy, it's cute, but it, implicitly it is political. I mean, it's getting a policy right. issue. And even if we think like homelessness doesn't matter to me because I live in the suburbs or what's going on in this area doesn't matter to me, crime doesn't matter to me because I live wherever, uh, potholes are something I think universally in Indianapolis we all experience on a daily basis. But Heinz seems to be somewhat oblivious to the problem. You know, he, he was on TV a few weeks ago saying, well, you know, uh, the snowstorms, you know, the snowstorm was a surprise. The I, I he thought, hit, they hit on that in this same. Well, and I thought, why didn't he just watch Chris Wright? There'd be no surprises. <laughs> That's right. We had a forecast, <laughs> correct, as as, as always, right. right? I think they were, in fact, following some National Weather Service data that particular weekend that had that particular snowstorm that was mentioned a little bit less impactful, but. Uh, Jennifer, you're sitting here thinking, well, I just don't. I, I don't know. I don't think this stuff's going to matter in November. I think. You know, it's going to warm up. It's already warmed up this past weekend, and you know, people are going to be happy, and they're going to be out and walking their dogs, and the the potholes will all miraculously get filled, and the November election happens before the December and January and February winter the next season. Round of potholes, so, yeah. you know, th- I mean, is it a big deal? Absolutely. I mean, I have a I've had a number of Uber or Lyft drivers who said they've broken multiple uh, or had multiple flat tires, one broken axle. It's a big deal. But we forget so, so quickly as human beings. And the, and the city, I'm told, because I haven't filed a claim, but the city, I'm told, denies about 90-some percent of these claims because you have to be able to prove exactly which pothole And that it was already on their rim. list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, it's... it's very were, few cases, actually. Hard. If I were Joe Hoggs and I wanted to get reelected, I'd have DPW writing checks about every two minutes to somebody that broke it, because at least they'd feel like they got some satisfaction. Then you call the mayor, just in the song, you call the mayor's hotline, you get it put on hold forever. It's, it's just not a good election year practice. It's, it's kind of like the old dictum, a chicken in every pot, uh, a check for every pothole. That's um, right. Very good. <laughs> it's one of those songs. And it worked out well just, for Herbert Hoover. Right. So, there you uh, go, clearly, right. this bodes well. Uh, if you haven't watched that video yet, the song just kind of sticks in your head, too. It does. Yeah. Right. It sort of echoes the uh, mm-hmm. the song that was in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen Brothers uh, film that hit Netflix in December. Which uh, none called of us Surly Joe. Here, right? yeah. No, sadly. Yeah. 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 Too busy watching yeah. real crime. I do think... Mayor Hogsett is going to be much more vulnerable on issues like homelessness, um, where it intersects with Monument Circle, and um, the homicide rate. I think that's going to be... Which is something you tend to hear about more in the summer. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And I think crime generally, to Laura's point, if you live in the suburbs and it doesn't affect you, maybe it doesn't affect your vote. But if something does happen and it does hit close to home, 
or happen in a you know quote unquote place it's not supposed to, which I don't know what that means, but then it starts to become a part of that narrative that can become a political liability. That being said, you know, if we're still putting out, you know, homemade videos and, and chucking the holes, I'm not really sure the mayor Hogshead has a whole lot to worry about. But, but crime and homelessness is already affecting downtown Indianapolis. You've seen Anthem moving their corporate headquarters, mm -hmm. a Fortune off 50 company, yeah. off the circle. They don't mm -hmm. want homeless people laying at their front door. Circle Center is a shadow of what it used to be because so many gangs of kids roaming through there on Friday nights harassing people. And then the homeless, you can't even get into, get into the, the entrances at B.F. Chang's and other places because you're constantly harassed by so I say so-called homeless people because most of it is just a syndicate. There's some real homeless people, but, but not many. But Mike, we, like, we work downtown. I live downtown, right? So sure. most people in Indianapolis, I know this always comes as a shock, they don't come downtown. They, that's a treat, right? Laura yeah, doesn't I, come downtown. I, I don't work there. She could care there. less about downtown. She's all, uh, all done with us. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, yeah, it's a big deal because we live in it. It's definitely a big deal when it comes to tourism and what people see of our city, but those people don't vote. We drove around with Mayor Hogsett. Bob Donaldson drove around and uh, talked about potholes a few weeks ago. We're going to be doing that next week with State Senator Merritt, and we'll play a clip of that uh, video, I'm sure, as well on next week's uh, program and here in the coming weeks as we talk about this issue a little bit more. Uh, let's also talk, we talked about uh, another mayor in Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, the town hall tonight on CNN, and we discussed uh, on the program this week this divide within the Democratic Party, trying to find its identity here ahead of 2020, different factions within the party. Where does he fit in, do you think, to that calculus as the party tries to uh, figure out who and what it is ahead of uh, the next election cycle. You, you know, he has really presented himself these last few weeks as a progressive Democrat. Um, he has, um, you know, gone on Morning Joe and to Joe Scarborough, Scarborough affirmed that he's actually a capitalist, that he believes in capitalism, but he that thinks seems that seems to it be can the debate be, this yeah, week, right? But, but that he thinks that he can improve um, how capitalism works. He's really made his stock and trade about reforming uh, our democratic system, uh, repealing the Electoral College and giving statehood places like uh, Puerto Rico um, and making Election Day a national holiday. And back to the point we were talking about earlier, Senator Donnelly said some nice things about his mayor but didn't yeah. endorse him. Is yeah. he too progressive for somebody like Senator Donnelly to, to endorse? I don't think so. I mean, I, again, I think this is just a wait and see kind of thing. And, and, you know, I mean, I don't mean this in any disparaging way. It probably came across that way on the show. But Joe Donnelly is not a sitting U.S. senator, so he can wait. He doesn't have to weigh in right now. And no one is breaking down his door for his endorsement. And I don't think Pete would, would want to rush that. Um, the other thing I really like, by the way, that Pete said this week is the, the expansion of the Supreme Court, adding justices to the Supreme Court. Interesting, right? What do you think but, about where he fits in well, this dynamic? I think, well, first of all, the, the best thing any Democratic candidate, including Pete Buttigieg, could do, if they're going to propose a program, tell us how you're going to pay for it. Because right now, if you start adding up some of these Democratic proposals, you know, the national debt, you think it's bad at $22 trillion now, it'll go, it'll just go through the roof. Now, Donnelly, I think, is still being a politician. Nobody in the Democratic Party would ever fault him for... And by the for, way, he didn't rule out running for office again. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's right. But nobody would in the Democratic Party would fault uh, Donnelly for endorsing the hometown boy. Yeah. I mean, 
that's just normal. We would, you know, the Republicans would all endorse Pence if he ran for yeah. president. It's just, it's just given that you, you're loyal to your hometown. Well, Buttigieg is really the only uh, Democratic candidate that I've heard so far this cycle actually talk about the national debt as a problem, uh, framing it as an issue of generational justice. I don't know of any other Democrat, unless you consider maybe Howard Schultz, who has who has talked about this issue. Um, and I guess my big question for April who is not a Democratic that's, candidate. That's right. That's right. 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 Uh, Democratic. Right. Democratic candidate. In, in name only. Right, right. My big question is who's going to be uh, who's going to be the guy who's heading up Dingus Day in South Bend this year? That's is right. It, is, is it, it Pete Donnelly Buttigieg or, or Donnelly? What do you yeah. think? Uh, Town Hall tonight. What will you be watching for with Pete Buttigieg on I the think national stage? Performance overall. Obviously, he's a great speaker. But but his highlights. What is he going to talk about? How is he going to address answers? You know, in, in terms of the division within the Democratic Party, I think he could be the answer to kind of bringing those together. I, I don't see him as being too left or too moderate, and uh, he has enough diversity, but he's he's not too diverse. I, you know, as a candidate, I think he has a lot to offer. The biggest liability is that he's a mayor of a medium-sized city in a state that people, people may not elite, know, right? and that's yeah. why he has this opportunity at Town Hall to really introduce himself in that kind of I way. I was talking to a reporter from Governing Magazine this week who happens to be in town to do a Holcomb, and he was uh, smirking about Buttigieg. I mean, he's like, who does he think he is? You know, this crappy little town in Indiana. You know, that, that was kind of his attitude. And I said, well, you're on the East Coast, and we don't want to be the East Coast either. We like yeah. you know, well, the we West like Coast. The yeah. Yeah. We, we don't want to be either coast. coast. We are not coast. But he, was, coast. he was dismissive of, um, of Buttigieg. I'm not saying that Governing Magazine is yeah. the end-all, be-all by any means, yeah. but it, it has its role. I, I think, well, go ahead. No, when you look at um, St. Joseph County, um, Pete Buttigieg um, won by 80% of the vote his re-election campaign. Uh, in 2016, Hillary Clinton won that county j by just 0.7% of the vote. So Buttigieg is someone who's won Trump voters, he's won Democrats, and I think that's uh, an experience worth talking about. He also got a boon this week when Ohio Senator uh, Sherrod Brown dropped out of the race. He's making still got in that Midwestern lane. Th that's yeah. right, making yeah. Buttigieg yeah. and Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota really the only two Midwestern voices so far in this contest. And Minnesota probably doesn't really count as like the same right. Kind of right. Midwest. Right. Right. It's Ohio much, and much more, much more Wisconsin, blue, much more progressive. Yeah. Michigan, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Right. I've always Came said that I think Buttigieg is the best mayor South Bend's had in 60 years. No, that doesn't mean he had a lot of competition mm. to be the best, yeah. but he has been the best. But I look back at Pete's DNC <laughs> chair race, and it's it's the same kind of problem. He was absolutely the best pick to run the DNC to kind of get us back to you know our original values to be able to, as Laura, you said, like he's diverse enough, right? To be able yeah. to say like- You know, Tom Perez sat in that very chair just uh, three weeks ago. I mean, <laughs> sorry, 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 you're Mr. Not, Chairman. I, I was a Pete Buttigieg fan, but he, he runs the same, he has the same problem is that can he get over the skeptics, skeptics in DC or on both coasts? Can he raise enough money to get out of the gate? I think he can do it. I think he's the right messenger. I think he's got the right message, but I'm also not sure that each either coast cares what we think here in the right. Midwest. And when, Joe Biden this week said he's 95% yeah. sure he's going to run. You know, when you look at Biden matching up with someone like Buttigieg, Biden has such a long trail of comments that are out of step with progressive Democrats in 2019. Um, just this week, we heard his comments on uh, school desegregation. Um, and a candidate like Pete Buttigieg brings none of that baggage to the situation. Um, so I think that that's going to be a fascinating dynamic to watch. It'd be fascinating to see a 78-year-old carrying the future flag of the Democratic <laughs> Party. I just don't see it happening. Yeah. And, and of course, Buttigieg, uh, you know, might be somebody, uh, you know, he's a, he's a mayor of a small town, as you pointed out. 
Obviously, anybody has a chance, but he's also sure. someone that could be in the in the veep stakes by getting his name. Oh, without a too. doubt, I think by Sherrod Brown saying he's not an right. Arsenal running, he still lays that kind of claim. Um, and to Adam's point, he doesn't have the same kind of baggage. I think it's a benefit and a disadvantage if people don't know him. They don't have a preconceived notion that they don't like him or they do like him, but they still have to meet him. And without a doubt, with Biden, especially after um, the Kavanaugh hearings and the comparisons with. Thomas and then Biden having led the Senate Judiciary Committee. There's so much there that's just going to weigh him down. And of course, age isn't. I'll go on record right now saying that I think the Democratic ticket is going to be uh, Kamala Harris at the top and Pete Buttigieg as her deep state candidate. Oh, that's a bold prediction here. March of 2019. Are you willing to bet your Fox 59 coffee cup on that? I will absolutely. When was it? I remember the clip we we played so many times from I think late 2015. Yeah. When yeah. you said the same kind of thing, I go on record and I say Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. And I was right, yeah, so I hope you you're go. right. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Governor Eric Holcomb, too. You mentioned, uh, obviously, really big week for him. He is overseas uh, trying to bring in business. Uh, also spent some time at the White House talking about workforce development and had a moment there um, it was picked up on Fox News Channel where he was there in the White House talking with President Trump. Yeah, he's been named to Ivanka Trump's, whatever it's called, National Count Workforce Council, whatever. With Tim Apple. Yeah, with Tim, Tim Apple. Apple. <laughs> but there's no doubt, and in, in, in just a week prior to that, Holcomb was uh, recognized by one of the major national magazines as being the leader in workforce development at the state level in the United States. So there's no doubt that Holcomb is a leader in that area. He's, he's pushing hard, making great progress, working with the private sector and Ivy Tech and Vincennes. I mean, the, the, the mountain we have to climb, not only just in Indiana, but nationwide, in getting the next, the next generation of workforce ready, they say that 40% of our jobs are going to disappear in the next 15 years. That's amazing. And I don't think our educational system, quite frankly, is ready for it. Yeah. It's an issue he's talked about a lot, no doubt. Um, and, and a big issue he'll face when he comes back, as we've been discussing on hate crimes. Yeah, I think Holcomb, you can criticize him from a number of different angles, but I think he's really cracked the code on how to be uh, a, a wildly popular uh, Republican governor in Indiana without getting involved in, the, in some of these social issues that Pence did. Um, my big question for me is, who are Democrats going to put up against him? I think it's a, it's in some ways a, a suicide mission. We just mentioned a few minutes ago, Donnelly said he isn't ruling out a run yeah, yeah, for public yeah, office yeah, in the future. Yeah. I don't know though, 2020, what, do you, what do you see? I agree. I mean, I don't, I think there are people who can, obviously someone will run against Eric Holcomb because, you know, look, you got to put somebody up there and something could happen. And but this website appeared a few weeks ago, by the way, talking about Joe Donnelly's legacy paid mm -hmm. for by his campaign yeah, fund. I, I just, I mean, Joe's great. Um, I think that he would be a great governor. I just don't know how a Democrat beats Eric Holcomb, who has been, you know, very even keel. Is stay away from controversy. Stay away from controversy, that, and that, he's going to be on the ticket with Donald Trump. And Donald Trump carried our state by 18 points. That kind of challenge has never held uh, Joe Oxit back. I mean, if he wins this year for mayor, I could see him turn around running yeah, for governor. Yeah, I mean, he, I don't he know. ran against. McIntosh and lost. He ran against Coates and lost. Even with he's, that pothole Joe music video. That's right. Off, I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. but you know, the, the key there too is he's lost. I think it's going to be lost. a challenge yeah. for whatever. Yeah. There will be a Democrat running. Um, I think that'd be a really 
that'd be a really difficult job to do. All right, real quick before we go, what else are you keeping your eye on this week? We also have that Senate vote coming soon where we'll find out where Young and Todd yeah. will vote on the national emergency. I, you know, I think for Senator Todd Young, this vote is one of the most important in his career. He has campaigned in 2016 as someone who would be with Trump when he was right and against Trump when he was wrong. He's voted with Trump 93% of the time. I think this issue falls in the, sort of the 7% where he's going to have to say, look, this is, this is an overstep of the constitutional bounds of the presidency, of the administrative branch, of the executive branch. Um, and if he doesn't, we really see him sort of being sucked up by the Senate leadership uh, mentality of trying to vote with his... Well, with he his may have on. some political cover. There may sure. be, by some yeah. reports, maybe 10 Republicans that vote against yeah. it. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting to watch. I think there's a lot still going on at the State House, as Mike said on the show. We're, you know, only in the second of three segments, uh, although people think it's a halfway point. Uh, I think hate crimes is going to be interesting to watch. I think the, the local, uh, the Indy 11, all of the hotel, that yeah. bill will be interesting to watch. I think Hotel's this, yeah. pushing back on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm disappointed because I really like that new Teacher pay also. You've got teachers rallying Saturday at the State House. Uh, three words. Pay. Gambling, gambling, gambling. That's, That's all the, the same word. The, I know it is. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, said it three, three times. times. <laughs> same word three times. It is going to be the largest realignment of gambling, wealth, or riches, if you want to call it that, since 1993. On Friday afternoon, uh, very little notice so far, the Gaming Commission approved Rod Radcliffe's um, uh, purchase of the, uh, the um, Majestic licenses. And also, just a week before, the Gaming Commission released the list of 16 partners, and every single one of them, is a white Republican. Saving Lake County? Come on. Here's my question about that, though. I don't, I, you know, I think on a lot of these State House Insider shows, you know, gaming issues are front and center, but front and center, but I don't know that the average user realizes how that sort of legislation impacts them. Well, I agree, and that's yeah. the job of the media to help them understand that. It's a very complicated issue, but, and I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Gambling directly or indirectly dominates every single session because either they're claiming they've been taxed too much, relieve us of tax burden, or the sitting governor, whoever he is, Republican or Democrat, is looking to the gambling industry to provide more tax revenue to fund DCS right. or fund whatever. Or in the case yeah. of the Pence administration, he was pretty cautious at times on, on the gambling industry, at least public facing. Pence, Holcomb, all of them, they all jump in bed with the gamblers. That's all there is to it. Laura, they they just do. This week. <laughs> I do. It's just the truth. Sexy gambling. Got to know to hold them. Know when to fold them. Really nicely done. There's too much, too much money involved. Right. You cannot avoid sure. being in bed with the gamblers. Well, and, and in terms of an issue where money's involved, but it's not as clear, with the Senate Bill 12, the hate crimes legislation. And I think that's an opportunity for Eric Holcomb that could also be a liability for him. And I know people are panicking about it. We're not near through. The, the fact that the provisions were stripped out, and then you had people who authored it take their names off of it, and now that's been tossed over to the House. You know, the Chamber of Commerce releases right. these weekly emails, and the very bottom of it, in very small font, said, we don't support this anymore because it's not going to get us off the list of states that don't mm -hmm. have this kind of legislation. Right. Um, so I think that one, and it does have indirect money consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in terms of like all the conventions that could come here or may not come here. Right. That one's a really important one in the state. A lot to watch out for in the week ahead. Laura Wilson, Mike Murphy, Jennifer Wagner out of Wren. Thanks as always. We'll see you next week.